Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. It is a blessing to be with you this morning. Uh, Please keep your Bibles turned to the book of Ruth. That is where we will be studying, from the book of Ruth. It is a joy to be with you today and very encouraging to be able to remember the great sacrifice of Christ and to be able to praise Him. Well, the story of Ruth uh, has been called a diamond in the darkness of a time of departure from God. And that is so very true. In fact, the books of Ruth and Judges seem so different on so many levels that often it's hard for us to really consider them together. But really, they should be considered together. And the reason is because at the very beginning of of the book of Ruth, you'll notice just a tidbit of information that I think is helpful Now, it came about in the days when the judges governed. And so if we look at the context of the book of Judges just briefly, it helps us, I think, appreciate even more uh, the wonderful story of Ruth and what is really involved in that particular story. If you go back to Judges, you'll recall in Judges chapter 2, as we turn back there, Judges the second chapter, that there is some depiction of departure from God here that of course is carried out uh, in a way that I don't know exactly what the rating would be if the book of uh, Judges was was rated and and, put out there. I'm pretty sure it's, it's rated R here because there are just some Uh, terrifically difficult aspects of departure from God. And you just see how bad it is without going into any detail. If If you get the time, if you haven't already, and you read through Judges, and you see how far sin and departure and rebellion can take people. And the same is true of our society, our culture, our nation, or any other culture, time, or nation. And so we see God's people really departing. You'll notice there in Judges, the second chapter, and in verse 7. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Well, that sounds wonderful. But then we read that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And then we have this observation Uh, By the Holy Spirit, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, 
nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. It is often said, and rightly so, that God's people are always only one generation away from apostasy. It doesn't have to be that way. Uh, we've seen cases and examples of multiple generations of a family, for instance, or, or of a people where you see faithfulness. However, that seems to be quite exceptional. And here we have the wonderful leadership of Joshua. You had the leadership of Moses before him. You have the people that saw that, but over a period of time, there's departure, and really rather rapidly. Because he says, there arose another generation which did not know the Lord. Uh, I read a piece the other day that was very interesting, and it was talking about in any given organization, there tends to be, in the normative way, great change between generations. So you may have an initial generation that had to make great sacrifices in order to leave what their past may have been in whatever way. That may be religiously, it may be otherwise. They made great sacrifices. And with great sacrifices comes a high degree of commitment, as you know. Uh, but then the next generation, they still remember that. They've been told that. Maybe they've seen it on some level. And so there's still a level of commitment. Maybe it's not at the height of the commitment of their parents, let's say. Because maybe they haven't had to make all those sacrifices. But then by the time you get to the third and the fourth and the fifth generation, if teaching doesn't happen, if truth is not exemplified, you get to a point where it's just a matter of going through the motions if we're not careful. So each generation, each individual, each family, each home is responsible for instilling that concept of faith that comes from the Word of God. And so it says, we have this generation here and they arose and things just, and, and they apostatize and they get worse and worse. And we come to Judges 21. And this will sound very familiar for our culture today. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now you'll recall, they wanted a king to be like the nations around them. And God told them, this is what's going to occur. These are the consequences. This is what they're going to do to your children and to your grandchildren. This is what's going to happen with your servants and your prosperity. But the real problem here is they were just going to be their own standard. They did not want to submit. God's really the king they should have been surrendering and submitting to in the first place. And yet he says they had gotten to such a point that in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we know what happens when we do what's right in our own eyes. We don't do right. But then we have this story of, of Ruth, and often when we think about this story of Ruth, we think, oh, this is so sweet. It's a wonderful love story. And it is a love story. But sometimes we get caught up in the surface of the story and we don't really see the heart of the story. It is indeed a love story, but it is a love story between God and His people. And there's some wonderful things. If I asked you, you know, who's the, who is the primary, who are the primary characters in this story? Well, you might say, well, Bruce, come on. Did you not study for this lesson? It's, uh, it's Ruth. Right? And then maybe we think of Naomi and certainly Boaz. 
Those are the characters of the story. And they are characters of the story. If you don't have those three characters, we don't have much of a story, do we? But you know, really, there's a sense in which all of those individuals are secondary characters. They're not the primary character. The primary character, and you see his fingerprints all the way through the book, is God. It's God. And him working through Boaz, him working through Naomi, him working through Ruth. But the primary character is God and his faithfulness to his people, even in times of dark distress. And so as we begin to really think about this particular story of Ruth, we're going to read quite a bit from this book because I don't know that I can say it any better than, in fact, I know I can't say it any better than the Holy Spirit revealed it. And we'll make some observations. But what I want us to do is see the story within the story. Because that's the heart of why it's in text of Scripture. So what we have here is a story about God's gracious faithfulness once again. And the more we understand about Naomi and Ruth and and Boaz, the more we see about God and His providence and His faithfulness and Him working through His purpose, even in surprising ways. And so let's pick up here in Ruth chapter 1. And in this, you know, it starts out, I mean, just right away, right away we have tragedy striking. I mean, it's not like it builds up into the tragedy, as sometimes is the case. It gives you the setting and it says, Here's what happens. So tragedy strikes in chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Milan and Kiliani, for thites of Bethlehem and Judah, now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons, and they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. And the name of the one was Orpah, not Oprah, by the way, as I've heard that read before. And the name of the other was Ruth, and they lived there about ten years. Then both Milan and Kilion also died. The woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. And then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Let's pause there for just a moment. And so tragedy indeed strikes. Think about what's going on. And I think even though this would be hard even in our time and culture, especially in the West, we might have a hard time really getting our mind you know, wrapped around how tragic this really is. I mean, it's just tragic on the surface. But, but let's think about some other places and cultures in our world and you might begin to see how difficult it would be. But especially when you go back to this time, if, if a woman was bereft of her husband, her provider, her protector. She was extremely, extremely vulnerable. Well, but you say, okay, she had sons. 
So Elimelech dies. And remember, they're in a foreign land for their sustenance. So they're off in this, this foreign land and her husband dies. But she still has sons and she had daughters-in-law. So her sons, you would understand, would, would care for her. So she still has a, you know, a family construct. But then her sons die. So all of her, in her mind, from a physical standpoint, all of her providers and protectors are gone. So what can she do? Well, she hears that she can go back home. And see, back home are her people. Back home is community. Back home is national family in her mind. But can you imagine the sorrow she's going through, the loss of a husband, and then the loss of both of her sons? And so you'll notice there in the story that all she has left are her two daughters-in-law. So how is this going to work? So you have Naomi, you have Orpah, and you have Ruth. So she says, you know what? My daughters-in-law have to go back to their home. In her mind, I'm sure, as later we'll find out, she feels abandoned by God. We were talking this morning in our Bible class about being disoriented. This is a, a great story where you can see that. She feels very disoriented. In fact, she wants to have the name that indicates bitterness. And that God had turned his hand from her and, and was, was turning away from her and was pouring this tragedy out on her. And can you see why she might have felt that way? I, I can just on the surface... If you look at this, you have husband gone, son's gone, vulnerable. I've got to go home. What am I going to do with my two daughters-in-law? So I'm going to send them back. And so Naomi in verse 8 said to her daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to your mother's house and may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant you that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them. And they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. Now I think it's important to understand that both Orpah and Ruth did not want to go. Now, some people may think, you know, if I had a chance to get away from my mother-in-law, I might have taken off. They loved their mother-in-law. Doesn't that say a lot about her, about Naomi? They loved her. And she loved them. She said, you've dealt kindly with me. Verse 11, but Naomi said, return my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you. Now listen, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Now there's some allusion here to what's known as Leveret Law, which when we hear about it, we go, oh, <laughs> you know, I, don't, I wouldn't want to do that. But if a man dies and he has a brother, he's to take his wife 
and care for her. Jesus talks about this. In fact, the Sadducees tried to bring it up. You'll remember uh, in Matthew 22, I believe, to try to make some resurrection argument that was illegitimate. But when you go back to Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10, it was a way of caring for those who would be in a difficult circumstance. So she says, but how's this going to work? I mean, even if I were able to have other sons, you couldn't wait around for them. So you need to go back as much as you might love me. And, and basically says, you know, you might want to get away from me because the, the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Now, of course, we know the providence of God, although the circumstance looks very dire, is working for her and for his people. And so Orpah lifts up her voice and weeps and kisses Naomi goodbye. But there is a distinction between Orpah and Ruth. Finally, Orpah can be motivated to do this or persuaded, but Ruth has something. She has this determined loyalty, which is interesting as we mentioned earlier today because when the Bible speaks of God's loving kindness, His steadfast love, His faithful love, Ruth is demonstrating, who's a Moabitess, by the way, so she's an outsider, which is, a, again, a great lesson all by itself. She's an outsider, and yet we're seeing Ruth demonstrate God's love for Naomi, but Naomi doesn't fully realize all that's going on. She just sees it's coming from Ruth. Naomi's representative of Israel. But she feels like God has turned against her. Ruth says, no, I'm going to be with you. And that wonderful text you'll know, notice verse 14 says, Ruth clung to her. I want to tell you something. God's love was working through Ruth's love. God's love clings to us. And so she's, I want you to see the picture. She's holding on to her. And she goes ahead and goes through, you know, this spill, if you will, that this would be for the best. And Ruth just said, don't try to urge me to leave you. I'm not leaving. That's love. You know, a lot of people have the notion that love is rather superficial. Love is just acceptance. Well, sometimes love's not acceptance. But look at this love. This love just clings to her. And Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Now, this is really important. He says, your people shall be my people and your God my God. What did she know about Naomi? Naomi had talked to her about the true and living God. She knew Naomi was devoted to God. She knew about Israel. She knew if she goes back to be with her, she will worship the true and the living God, not false gods. And in verse 17, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And thus may the Lord do to me. And worse, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. It's, <laughs> it's kind of a waste of time to keep this conversation going. And so she says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to serve God. 
So there is a real sense, if you look at 114 through 17, in which God is working through the channel of Ruth to bless Naomi, but Naomi does not yet appreciate all of that. In fact, here's what I want you to think about. There is a sense in which God's working through every character in this story. God's working through a Moabitess woman who, by the way, will end up being in the Messianic lineage. He's working through Ruth. He's blessing Ruth through Naomi. We're going to find in a moment he's going to work through Boaz to bless Ruth and to bless Naomi. He's working through everybody. But when Naomi just looks at what's going on, she's saying, it feels like I'm alone. But actually, she's not alone. So in all of this time of a departure from God when we read Judges, we see that Ruth becomes a member of the community of God largely because of the example of Naomi. Keep reading with me. Verse 19, So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the people said, Is this Naomi? So she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Now listen to what she says because it will be important when we get to the end. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And barley harvest will be important in just a moment. So right, right at the very beginning, we have her saying, I'm not pleasantness, I'm bitterness. God has turned against me. And yet what we see is God working through Ruth on this occasion. But then that gets us to chapter 2. And things do shift in chapter 2. So in chapter 1, it just feels like Naomi is really struggling and if you just look at the circumstances, it looks like this is a tough situation. And then we come to chapter 2. And she comes to the field of a man known as Boaz. And this is kind of a, a sidebar point, but I think it's worth making. And that is a lot of atheists today, especially what are called new atheists, will try to go to the Old Testament and and say a lot of things about God that are not true. God was not xenophobic. He wasn't racist. In fact, there was teaching done about how they were to treat their servants and how they were to treat foreigners and all that that is rather unique to Israel compared to other countries around. In fact, their servants or slaves that were hurt, they were commanded to care for them and there was punishment if they didn't. But what's also interesting is even this story that they were taught in Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. And let's just turn back there real quick. Leviticus 19 in verses 9 and 10 regarding the barley harvest says, now when you reap the harvest of your land, you should not reap to the very corners of your field, but you shall gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard, you shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. And listen to this. I am the Lord your God. That is a phrase that has to do with God's covenant with Israel. 
And so the God says, as I've made covenant with you, Israel, don't forget about the foreigner. Don't forget about the stranger. Don't forget about the needy. Now that plays out in this story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. So when we come back to Ruth chapter 2 and verse 1, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband. There you see the providence of God, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now we've already mentioned this idea of the Leverett Law, but you're already seeing this is going to work out. In verse 2, Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and the grain among the ears of grain. After one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And so she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in the charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now, and she has been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. And when you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? She knew who she was. She knew who they were. She now is seeing Boaz's kindness toward her. God is faithful to those who serve him. He's working through Boaz. But then he's also working toward Ruth. Ruth is quite humble before him. In fact, she says, why would you even notice me? Boaz, many have argued, and I think rightly so, may serve as a shadow of our Redeemer in Jesus. Boaz replied to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. What beautiful language that is. Listen, Boaz saw in Ruth integrity. He saw character. He saw faithfulness. He saw love. He didn't see a generation departing from God. He saw a woman coming from her background who truly loved. And he says, look, verse 12, he sees the Lord working in this because he says, may the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Now get what he's saying. Yes, Boaz is doing this, but who is he giving glory to for the opportunity to do good. When we do good, it's God working through His people. God's working through Ruth to care for Naomi. He's working through Boaz to care for Ruth and Naomi. 
And so he sees that integrity, and Boaz has integrity. And so in chapter 2 and verse 13, then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here that you may eat the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat around or beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. And when she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not insult her. Also, you shall purposely pull out her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until the evening and then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned and she also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. And her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I had worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, now listen, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. And again, Naomi said to her, the man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Then Ruth the Moabite said, furthermore, he said to me, you should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that the others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now stay with the story. You're doing very well. Stay with the story and the narrative and the account and what's going on here. Naomi is beginning to shift She's shifting away from, call me bitterness, call me Mark. She's shifting away from the Lord. Now it's slowly, but the Lord has turned his hand and his face against me. And now we're talking about Boaz. But this wouldn't even be a potential, brethren. The whole ordeal with Boaz, if it wasn't for God's commandments, if it wasn't for God's law, if it wasn't for God's will, if it wasn't for God's providence... So actually, she'd been brought back into the community of her people, the fellowship of her people, the blessings of her God. What looked like it was so dark and distressing and hard, and it was. But it actually was a pathway back into God's blessing. She's beginning to see the faithful love of God. Have you not been where Naomi was before in pain and grief and hurting and feeling alone and yet then out of the darkest day burst the light of God's glory and grace. But then we get to chapter 3. And as we've been talking about Boaz, the Redeemer is revealed. We've gone from terrible tragedy to God sustaining and providing. And you begin to see glimpses of it. But we have the story of the Redeemer being revealed. 
And so in chapter 3, when we look at chapter 3, Naomi hopes for Ruth now are centered on Boaz as a kinsman redeemer. Remember, this is about God's love for His people. And so it is in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, as if Naomi is preparing Ruth for marriage. You'll look there in chapter 3 and verse 1, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maid you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Keep reading with me. Verse 4, And it shall be when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet, and lie down, and then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. And then Boaz, when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Then he said, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be greater than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now, stop here for just a moment. There are some. Don't you love the deep theology on Facebook? But there are some that have tried to, and even some modernistic scholars that have tried to twist this into something ungodly or immoral. I want you to hear me. That's blasphemous. That's blasphemous. There is not one unclean, impure thing happening here. They did not commit fornication. In fact, what's interesting is this language that is used here that, that Ruth uses is also in a similar way used, I think in Ezekiel, of God showering His blessings on His people. There's nothing ungodly at all. This is very God-centered. She is making sure Boaz knows because quite obviously he's quite a bit older than her that she cares for him. That she loves him. She's not trying to seduce him. She's making clear to him that she recognizes who he is as a man and his integrity and his kindness toward her. By the way, that's in Ezekiel chapter 16 in verse 8. She was asking for marriage and, and protection. And Boaz feels loved and honored by Ruth. But he, now get this about Boaz. Boaz has such a high amount of integrity. He says, I, basically, I care for you and I want to protect you. We've kind of got an issue here because there's someone who's a closer relative than I am. And we're not going to read all. It's kind of rather interesting to read about what he does. 
And the closer relatives interested, I think, until he finds out we're dealing with a Moabitess. And then all at once, he forfeits his access. And so now, Boaz and, and, and Ruth are going to marry. And he's going to provide for her, and that's all revealed in chapter 3 and in verses 10 through 18. Notice in verse 13, Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. And so the rest of that, he, he takes care of that situation. We come on into chapter 4, and we see that happen. Now, look at chapter 4. Let's stay with the story. Remember where we began. She said, I left full, but now I'm empty. Call me bitterness. Look at chapter 4, though. It all works out by God's providence. I want you to pick up with me in verse 13, and then we're going to just draw about three powerful lessons for us to take with you, for you to take with you. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may His name become famous in Israel. May He also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons. And every woman in her heart said, Amen. <laughs> he said, your daughter-in-law is better than if you'd had seven sons. Well, she lost her sons. Look at how God has blessed you. Through a Moabitess woman. Through Ruth because of her faith and integrity and character. Better than seven sons. He has given, she has given birth to him. And what a beautiful sight. Look at verse 16. Then Naomi. Naomi, who felt so empty inside in chapter 1. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him, now notice this, they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now I have to tell you, in the Old Testament, it's hard to get any, any bigger, any more famous than David. That means we have the messianic lineage. An outsider became an insider through faith. So what do we need to take home with us? Well, we do need to see that God's faithfulness is realized toward Naomi and Israel through Ruth, who's a Gentile. And that's what you call grace. So, what do I want you to take home with you? First of all, we need to see that the Lord is always faithful to His promise. Even if He does things that might surprise us. That's the story 
within the story. His redemption, His restoration. If I miss this, I miss the whole book. Then there's something else. There is the redemptive restoration through God's people. I want us to really see this before we go. You've, you've probably heard the story. Well, you hadn't heard this story. I've got a friend that uh, felt like he preached a little too long. And he told the brethren, he said, I want to apologize to you. I, I, I went too long today. I just couldn't find a good place to stop. And his sister caught him in the back and she said, brother, I saw a lot of good places you could have stopped. So hang in there. God works through his people. We need this. God works through his people. We see that in this story. I want to share with you a poem that was written by a brother in Christ that I found to be very encouraging and helpful on this point. Remember, the people sitting beside you this morning love you. And that relationship and fellowship is so important. This is entitled The People in the Pew. It says they are parents that are burdened because of their prodigal children. They are grandparents raising grandchildren because if they don't, who will? They are caregivers wondering if anyone understands. They are single parents facing double duty. They are brethren struggling with their sin and yet confessing again. They are smiling faces hoping to hide their depression. They are a childless couple facing dis disappointment again. They are folks facing both cancer and fears. They are parents who have had to do the unthinkable and bury a child. They are parents struggling to raise a special needs child. They are brothers and sisters who've done everything they know to keep their marriage together and they still struggle. They are widows who sit down as one at a table for two. They are sisters who harbor the difficulty of a failing husband. They are step-parents who seem to be on the outside looking in. They are lonely. They are the scared, the hurting, but they come. They come to the table to share their grief with the one who gave his all. They come to lift up their voice in song while brushing away a tear. They come to pray and connect with their only hope. They come to encourage someone else while hoping someone will encourage them. They come to hear the good news and hope and to take something away that will heal their hurting heart. They are the people in the pew. Funny. They look a lot like you and me. Remember, it is in the community of God's people that God will heal us. And then finally, and this is the final thought I want us to take with us, and that is what's called divine reversal. We see it all the way through Scripture. Remember how she began? Feeling empty. She said, I came here full and I now feel empty going back. But actually she would be made full. So what does that mean for us? Here it is. Wherever you are and whatever you're going through right now, God can transform our emptiness into fullness. Our mourning into joy. Our death into life. Our despair into hope. Our brokenness into restoration. Our alienation into fellowship. Our pain into healing. 
our, our lostness into redemption, our anxiety into peace. He can do abundantly above all that we ask or think. Indeed, what do we learn from the story of Ruth? Here it is. The Lord never fails. Thank you for your good attention this morning. If you are not a child of God, come to the Lord who never fails. Believe in Jesus. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith. And be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. As together we stand and we sing.